Hello everyone, this is Ivan Oleg Smith with Yogi Online, and I'm very pleased to be here today with Dr. Baxter Bell, a medical doctor and a yoga therapist and yoga teacher, and now author. Uh, Baxter has a long history with yoga. It was a love affair to begin back in 1993 while he was still working full-time as a family doctor. And his appreciation then for the potential of yoga for fostering health and healing was so great that he decided eventually to stop his medical practice and become a full-time yoga teacher. And Baxter is now just teaching yoga full-time. He is also teaching yoga and workshops uh, nationally, yoga workshops nationally and internationally. And he is a leading figure in helping to develop the field of yoga therapy. Baxter is on the board of the International Association of Yoga Therapy and also co-founder and writer for the popular Yoga for Healthy Aging blog. And the most recent addition to Baxter's many accomplishments is his new book on Yoga for Healthy Aging, which was published by Shambhala Press. About what is it? A little bit less than a year ago, Baxter. Uh, December of two thousand seventeen, and I want to mention yes. that Nina Zolotov was my co-author on that. Yes, with Nina Zolotov, who is also one of the co-founders of the Healthy Aging Blog, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, and congratulations on that huge achievement. I can only imagine how much work it was because it's such a wonderful book. It contains so much material on you know, relevant on yoga for healthy aging and the bonus essential yoga poses for, for healthy aging. So great yeah, job on that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So um, welcome to you. And um, we're here to talk not just about healthy aging, but about a condition that is getting increasing attention from the medical condition. Uh -huh. And it's a condition of uh, the medical, uh, sorry, I'm going to clip that one here. <laughs> so welcome, Baxter. Thank you. So we're here to talk um, not just about healthy aging, but about a new condition that is, is receiving increasing attention from the medical community. Mm -hmm. And it is a condition that when you read about it, you come away with this feeling that like, this is a key issue to focus on to prevent all other health issues. The one condition to end to end all your health problems. Right. <laughs> and yeah, so, of course, factor, the one factor we might be able to influence, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, we're talking, of course, about inflammation. Inflammation, which is a new buzzword, and it, it is now considered a precursor to anything from Alzheimer's to heart disease, diabetes, thyroid issues, arthritis, and so on. Could cancer. you talk about cancer? cancer. Really? Yeah. In fact, I was just looking at a, um, a review article uh, that was talking about the uh, increased incidence of colon cancer in um, adult men who are moderate to over overweight and lean women. And also to men and women who don't drink alcohol, those those groups of people are at higher risk of underlying inflammation, leading to an increased risk in colon cancer. Um, so our understanding day by day 
expands in getting a sense of what happens with inflammation and also how it impacts our health or our poor health, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it, it has appropriate roles in our health and it has inappropriate roles in, in our overall well-being as well. Yeah. And we're talking about chronic inflammation. It's when the inflammation response becomes chronic that most yeah. issues arise. Is that correct? That's correct. And something that's also come to light for me as I've been diving into all of the research that's going on around this topic is that there's now actually a new term. It turns out that aging itself, getting older day by day, increases the chances of chronic inflammation being present in the body. And um, it's called inflammaging. Inflammation combined with aging, it's now called inflammaging. Is a technical term that's now being used in research literature and in studies to describe this process of advancing age and increasing chance of chronic inflammation. So age itself is a risk factor for developing inflammation right, yeah. on a chronic level, which is, <laughs> we can't change the fact that we're getting older. We might be able to influence maybe some of the other factors that go on when it comes to uh, chronic inflammation. Yeah, and it is really fascinating because age getting older, of course, is also a risk factor for all these other right. chronic they diseases. Go hand hand, don't they? It yeah. goes hand in hand. And so it's really interesting that if you are able to address inflammation, that that might be the one thing that would also help all yeah. these other things. Yeah. But could you, it's always been a little bit of a mystery for me how this works? I mean, how would chronic inflammation, you know, pit into so many different um, diseases? Yeah. Yeah. Not only mechanics. Yeah, it's actually pretty complex. And, you know, I would say that, you know, I'm beginning to become clearer and clearer the more time I spend with this on what, what's happening. But mm -hmm. it seems like the presence of the chronic inflammation acts as a trigger for other uh, systems to go haywire. For instance, the mm -hmm. presence of chronic inflammation affects the messaging around how insulin functions, so it increases the chances of insulin resistance. And if that exists long enough, of course, then it increases the chance that you're going to get type 2 diabetes. And if you get type 2 diabetes, then it increases your chances of getting metabolic syndrome, and then it increases your chances of strokes and heart attacks. So it's kind of a cascade that takes place, but the one of the initial precipitators is the presence of the inflammation. The inflammation can um, increase the number of radicalized oxygen molecules in our body. So it seems to have an effect on creating more of that sort of molecule in the body. It seems to disrupt the normal immune function in the body. So it affects the way white blood cells respond to you know, normal circumstances in the body so they don't operate normally anymore. So that might then contribute to the development of more autoimmune problems down the road, but it's the inflammation affecting immune molecules that can cause problems. The inflammation also seems to impact the um, genetic ex expression of some of our, of our genes and our cells of our body. And so the inflammation then acts as kind of what we call has an epigenetic effect because it affects what genes get turned on and what genes get turned off 
that then can accelerate the aging process or trigger uh, a disease process in turn, increasing the chances of those things happening. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is that it actually is fairly complex in how it interacts with all these different aspects of our normal functioning body, switching things into more of an abnormal function and therefore leading to problems down the road. Mm, very interesting. As you were talking, it really reminded me of the Ayurvedic concept of ama. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ama is a byproduct of the metabolic process in the body, a particularly incomplete metabolic process, and they describe it as kind of like this gunk yeah. gets in the system and kind of clogs up and messes up things. Um, it doesn't have any correlation with um, toxins, impurities in the body, or is it, you know, what are the factors that precipitates inflammation? Well, one thing you just said kind of reminded me of another maybe example in the central nervous system, and that is, you know, when you have neurons that die over time with the aging process, they're, they break down in the brain, right? So if the brain effectively can clear that material out, it's not problematic. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have efficient cleansing on a daily basis, usually while we're asleep, um, then you get the accumulation of this material. You could call it AMA if you wanted, but technically it's the breakdown of these cells. And that creates an inflammatory process in the brain. So, you know, again, it's, it's interesting how it's, it's, it seems almost like a little bit of the chicken and the egg. You know, if the system's okay. operating correctly, inflammation gets removed, inflammatory markers drop down, and, you know, the inflammation doesn't seem to be as much of a factor as if, it, if levels remain high. Right. We know that, for instance, that stressful situations in our lives tend to increase the inflammatory markers in our body which seems to indicate there's a higher level of chronic inflammation present on a daily basis, right? So chronic stress contributes to chronic inflammation. And people who have depression also have higher inflammatory markers. And there's even some recent studies I know that Nina wrote about not too long ago on the blog that talk about inflammation may be actually the precipitator for depression developing. So is it inflammation that leads to depression? And that's why the inflammatory markers are high? or the presence of depression causes inflammation that causes those markers to be high. So there's still some figuring out going on about this, but right. underlying all this is the presence of this chronic inflammation. So a couple yeah. things come to mind in terms of other risk factors are again, stress, which we talk about a lot in yoga for healthy aging, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's stress-related illness. They're, they're all, when you step back and look at them, the, the illnesses that fall under stress-related illnesses and the illnesses that seem to be precipitated by inflammation, it's kind of the same group of problems that we're looking at, you know, heart disease, cancer, immune, uh, autoimmune diseases, uh, dementia, cognitive changes, all these things are kind of again and again coming up, even though we've talked about them in the past as being these kind of entities that exist in a little box, it turns out that they may have the same seed from which they sprout. Right. That makes sense? Yeah. So we know that the presence of stress, we know that the lack of physical activity, we know that um, dietary choices, huge impact on the presence of chronic inflammation. And we also know that because our behavior, our eating habits uh, are impacting the choices that we make in terms of what we're taking in for many of us, not all of us, uh, because there are that group of people 
who um, don't have the resources to buy good food if they would want to, right? So that's a whole other group of people that where the, the issues of social justice and fairness and everything would impact um, their, their health and well-being when it comes to inflammation. But that diet and dietary choices have a big impact on the presence of inflammation in the body. Mm. And so, although, you know, and, and you know, the yogic tradition often talks about a good, healthy vegetarian diet. And it turns out that, you know, green leafy vegetables and dark yellow vegetables and more fruits and avoiding processed foods and, you know, all the, the junk food that, uh, and, and uh, meats and things that are, have been shown to be pro-inflammatory in the body, that sometimes making those choices of adopting a yogic dietary lifestyle or even Ayurvedic lifestyle, where we're eating things that are less inflammatory, um, uh, and avoiding things that are more common in our Western diet in terms of processed foods, fast foods, heavy on the meat uh, and grains and low on the other things, that our yoga practices, and we'll get into this, I'm hoping, in our, in our program nicely that's coming up at the end of August of 2018, that we'll, we'll get into some more of the nuts and bolts of that. I don't want to go into that too much today, but saying yeah. that you know, diet is a big part of this whole formula. And our yoga practices can support better choices because we get better at self-regulating how we respond to stress and different factors being rushed to work and this and that we get better at self-regulating and making better choices yeah yeah right so you know it's both complex and simple at the same time you know on some level if we adopt the proper lifestyle choices right, right. we will actually be able to impact and influence the levels of inflammation in our body to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Everything comes back to what Ayurveda refers to, like to the four pillars of health, right? Proper sleep, proper yeah. diet, proper exercise. And what am I missing? Management of one's sexual energy, they often talk about in the main things in Ayurveda. Yeah, that's right. That's one right. of the main things that you. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess stress management as well. Um, so it's still a little bit of a mystery. The information process is, you know, gets triggered when we're fighting a bug and, you know, when we cut ourselves and, you know, we get bacteria. Um, so. Yeah, you're, you're describing like the normal positive inflammatory response in our bodies that's integrated into how our immune system functions effectively. Right. And that, that's pretty obvious because we all feel it, but how can we know if we have <laughs> chronic inflammation yeah. going on? Yeah, well, you and I were just talking about the continuum of health, right? Where right. we might feel like we're generally pretty healthy, but maybe we're a little sluggish on our energy levels. Maybe we have some mild aches and pains in the morning when we get up that get better when we move around. Maybe our skin is a little sensitive. Um, maybe our digestion is a little bit uh, uh, sensitive also, depending on what we eat. So, you know, there aren't like really clear symptoms of inflammation that's at a low level and chronic. In fact, you could be kind of, I think most people are kind of chugging along in their lives with a certain level of low chronic inflammation, and they're not actually even aware of it. It might, again, contribute to some mild symptoms here or there, but it's not like suddenly getting the flu, or it's not like um, even getting diabetes where you could at least check, you know, and know very easily with easy technology that, oh, my sugars are out of the normal range right now, 
right? Um, it really requires on some level suspicion or a savvy practitioner that you work with that is becoming more aware of the presence of chronic inflammation as an underlying mm -hmm. factor in the development of poor health over time mm -hmm. to suggest that, you know, we might look at seeing if there's some evidence um, that might be present in your body that could, you know, point to the fact that maybe you are living with higher levels of inflammation. Mm. So, you know, the, your Western doc will have some blood tests that they could order. They don't necessarily order it routinely at this time, but I think functional medicine physicians who are kind of a new specialty that's been around for 10 or 15 years now, they're probably more likely to think of checking some of these inflammatory markers in the bloodstream or in the saliva that then could give you a sense of, oh, maybe, maybe I'm actually not as healthy as I thought I was. And maybe it's time now to do something about it before I develop type 2 diabetes or I develop yeah. osteoarthritis or I start to have some difficulties with some autoimmune condition down the road or I get the bad news when I go to the doc that there's evidence of blood in my stool and maybe I have you know, some, some uh, risk factors for colon cancer that I didn't know I had before. So that we can be a little more proactive, you know, utilize our lifestyle tools as, as preventative medicine in a sense, and reverse maybe a process that hopefully hasn't been around for too long, but that we know that we can impact on some, some level. Yeah, I, I know there is a medical doctor, Dr. Bradenson, I don't know if you heard about him, mm -hmm. but he focused specifically on Alzheimer's, and mm -hmm. he is one of the first, he kind of did for Alzheimer's what Dean Ornes did for heart disease, uh -huh. they showed that it is possible to, you know, not just slow the progression of uh, Alzheimer's, but in some cases actually reverse it and see cognitive improvement in people with early stage mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. And a key thing that he focuses on is, you know, these inflammatory markets in the body, finding out, well, are there inflammatory markers? And if so, adjusting diet, adjusting, you know, lifestyle routines to address yeah. those. Yeah. Yeah. And again, what I love about these approaches and what I loved about Dean Ornish's approach, and I suspect this physician also is you're using lifestyle options. It's not a pharmacology. Right. Uh, it's not a surgical intervention. It's not a pill that you take that, you know, was developed in a laboratory. These are actually skills that you uh, can teach yourself and learn or have someone guide you through. If you, in the case of Alzheimer's, of course, you might need a lot of guidance and support initially, but as your cognition improves, probably you'll be able to remember your routines more on your own. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, these are things that you can empower. We can empower others. They can empower themselves and share with others. And, you know, if we affect the health of one family member, ideally, the assumption would be that's probably going to start to filter out to other family members and friends because they're going to go, what have you done? You are looking great. You're telling me all these amazing things you're doing right now. Your health has obviously improved. What are you doing that I'm not doing, right? So the hope is that, you know, this spreads not only from, you know, those of us that have the information, they're sharing it, but then it spreads more evenly throughout the community mm -hmm. in a nice organic way. Yeah, 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 that's a very good point. And of course, you and I are both um, passionate about yoga. So is there a role for yoga in this? Can yoga have an impact on the degree of inflammation in the body or help mm -hmm. curb it if it's already present? 
Uh, yes, it can. Uh, you know, I, I, when I when I share this topic in, in, in the near future in our in our bigger program, I will share a, quite a bit of of the research that's been done to date that helps to support the fact that yoga seems like a really good tool to help lower systemic inflammation on a chronic basis. Uh, I'll mention one thing that was really interesting. There was a, a study done um, that looked at um, about 50 women, uh, half of whom were new to practicing yoga and half of whom had been practicing for multiple years. Mm. And they, um, each person was, uh, they, they tested them on three separate occasions, but they did lots of blood tests and things. So they were, it was actually, when I thought about being one of the subjects of this study, I wouldn't have enjoyed it very much because <laughs> while I'm in declining uh, cobbler's post, they're going to draw a sample of blood. And when I'm in <laughs> post, they're going to draw another sample of blood. So there were like three different times during the, during the, the session where they actually drew blood and got saliva samples. <clears throat> so, you know, <laughs> would be pretty stressful. Not a very um, relaxing practice, right? But what they did is they, uh, they, they, had, they subjected the individuals to a stressor before they did their yoga practice. Mm. And then while they did the yoga practice, they assessed these different things. Mm. What was interesting ab about just the two groups that they studied is at baseline, before they even did the study, they tested the levels of inflammatory markers. And they found that the novice yogis the level of inflammatory markers were 44% higher than the experienced yogis. Wow. So right away you have evidence that, you know, comparing two similar groups of people and looking at the one factor of, have you practiced yoga for less than six months or more than four years, that that alone demonstrated a difference in some of the inflammatory markers in the bloodstream. So I'll get into more studies that help to show other benefits or other evidence that yoga practices can help manage inflammation. But in general, most of the studies looked at yoga asana practice, pranayama, and meditation as the three basic tools out of all the tools in our yoga toolbox. Those were the things that were consistently used when studying um, yoga's effect on inflammation. So, that, so, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And I've designed a nice practice that folks that tune into that uh, module that we're going to share that they'll actually get to do at home. That's really based on that information. Right. So I really that's wanted to take advantage of the fact that we know that a combination of restorative and mildly active yoga poses, breath practices and meditation techniques can be really excellent choices in your toolbox. And that doesn't mean that other things that you might use, such as sound practice and things like that, couldn't also have a benefit, but they may not have specifically been studied yet. Right, right. So the yeah. jury's out there, and my, my assumption is they're probably gonna be beneficial, but we don't know for sure. We don't have that Western confirmation through Western style studies. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah and you made several references to your course coming up. Uh, on yoga for chronic inflammation and it is a course we're really excited about because I think it's a topic we hear about a lot about yoga for stress relief and yoga for this yoga for that but inflammation is something that a lot of people are not aware of yeah. and so I think learning <clears throat> more about what it is and you know what some of the different signs are of inflammation what kind of blood tests you can run and then more specifically which are the different yoga approaches you can use and how has yoga um what do we know already about yoga and how yoga affects inflammation 
So we're very excited about it. And um, you mentioned a number of things already that you'll be covering in the course. Are there any other things you want to do, like a brief overview of some of the highlights? Um, yeah, I, I'm certainly going, I would like to share with everyone a, a little better understanding of normal healthy inflammation briefly and how that mm. plays its role in a healthy immune system because we know that chronic inflammation actually starts to mess up our immune system. It actually dysregulates our immune system on some level. So I think it's nice to have a little bit of foundational, simple foundational understanding of how that works. And then we'll talk about uh, what chronic inflammation is, how it's monitored. Um, again, you know, is it easy to tell just as an individual that I might have chronic inflammation? Because I think that's the tricky part. It can be almost a little bit like high blood pressure where it's present in your system, but it hasn't reared its ugly head by causing some other problem yet, right? So this is one of those things where I think a little, a little level of suspicion is a good thing to have you know, being a little bit, you know, hey, should I check this out and make sure it's something I need to worry about? It's, you know, in some ways, when you think about the 23andMe movement where people are getting their genetic code mapped out, it's like they want to have some information that gives them better guidance on where they want to put their time and energy in terms of health management, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that chronic inflammation may end up being something like that for our listeners once they understand it a little bit more and get a sense of its broad impact on our overall health. So, you know, we'll talk about uh, the variety of things. You've already alluded to many of them, but I'll try and give a, a fairly complete list of the conditions that seem to arise out of the presence of chronic inflammation. And then we'll talk about those lifestyle tools in more detail, how we can apply them, you know, how you can continue doing things you might already be doing that are really good for you. Because some of us that are going to be tuning in might already have a regular yoga practice. Uh, but as people I've known who have developed other health problems like Victor Dubin, who's in our book, Yoga for Healthy Aging, at age 37, he found out that his blood pressure was really high and he had a crazy family history of everybody developing high blood pressure. He was already doing yoga. He was always already a regular runner. He already had a pretty good diet. And so he had to refine and retool his practice. And he decided to front load his practice with more meditation. So he was sure to do that every day. And then he also refined his running and his diet. And guess what? After about you know a certain number of months, his blood pressure came down into the healthy range again, right? So yeah. he was already doing some good things for his health, but he had to refine them. So I'm maybe hoping that some of the information that I'll share will help those of us that are already involved in good, fairly good lifestyle uh, habits, we can improve those when it comes to inflammation. And then for people who tune in that aren't very familiar with yoga and how it can be used, they'll have a little primer on how they can apply their, the yoga tools and some resources to, to do that, to implement that in their everyday lives. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point about retooling uh, the health habits you already have, because mm -hmm. I, I think uh, when you have a healthy lifestyle, it's easy to think, well, I'm already doing everything I can, but you're right, you can oftentimes be more specific in terms of accomplishing certain goals in um, yes. health management and have quite quite a big impact. So, impact. You know, yeah. and, you know I, I was just reading a Beth Gibbs uh, contribution to the blog today talking about energy levels. How do we maintain our energy level through mm -hmm. the day and through different stages in our life? And she noted that, you know, as she's gotten to be a little bit of an older adult, she's found that, you know, the kind of vigorous yoga practice actually don't leave her energized when she's done. They don't actually work that way for her. You know, so, you know, kind of reassessing the practices of what we're doing and the 
benefits we think we're getting and then you know being honest and clear with what we're seeing and and then using that information to better guide us into the future yeah, yeah. yeah. those are all kind of beneficial skills to have <laughs> principle of ahimsa right yes ahimsa yeah don't force your body yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, Baxter, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this exciting course. And yeah, I'm excited. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Great. And everyone listening in, thanks so much for joining you, us. And if you want more information about Baxter, look for his courses on Yoga U Online. And you can also find his writings at the Yoga for Healthy Aging blog. Uh, what is it? Yogaforhealthyaging.com or? It's yogaforhealthyaging.blogspot.com. Blogs. Okay. Yes. If, you then, put, if you put Baxter Bell and Yoga for Healthy Aging in a Google search, you're going to find it pretty quickly. It'll probably yes. be on the first page of options. And then you, they can also check in at my website, which is baxterbell.com. Yes. It's a good place, good resource. And then there's Amazon, Yoga for Healthy Aging, Baxter Bell book. <laughs> <laughs> you can certainly find it on Amazon. You know, Shambhala was wonderful and actually published our book. We actually have an actual publisher. So you can also go to their website and order the book from Shambhala Press. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. All right. Again, thank you so much for joining us, Baxter. And thank enjoy you. the rest of your day. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.